Welcome to the Evolution of Medicine podcast, the place health professionals come to hear from innovators and agitators leading the charge. We cover the latest clinical breakthroughs and health technology, as well as practical tools to help you transform your practice and the health of your community. This podcast is brought to you by the Lifestyle Matrix Resource Center, who provide a range of options to help you deliver successful, effective, functional, and integrated medicine. To find out more and to get started, go to goevomed.com slash L-M-R-C. That's goevomed.com slash L-M-R-C. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This week, I'm super excited to kick off our conversations about 2021, the year of reinvention. And we are going to talk about genetics and genomics and how it could change the profession of nutrition. Ultimately, we're going to start with the profession of dietetics and where it came from and why it hasn't really lived up to its potential. We're also going to really understand what it takes to unleash the potential of genomics into the industry and some of my pet peeves with genetic testing. And then we're going to find out a little bit more how every practitioner in our community can get on the bandwagon for 2021 and really play a part in the reinvention of medicine via genomics. So it's a really interesting 45 minutes. Dr. Yael Jaffe is just as passionate as I am about this transformation in healthcare. A joy. So welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Yael Joffe. Welcome, Doc. Thanks, James. Great to be here. Really excited to have you here. Um, I guess I just wanted to follow on. Last week, I did a conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Bland about medical nutrition therapy in the changing healthcare landscape. And I guess medical nutrition therapy really started in the realms of dietetics. And I know that's where you started as well. So why don't we just start there? You know, what is dietetics and why uh, has it lived up to its potential in achieving its goals? Uh, Thanks, James. That's a great place to start. I almost feel like um, talking about dietetics is talking about the elephant in the room. So let me start out with the caveat that there are some outstanding dietitians out in the healthcare industry, really outstanding. But let's talk about dietetics as a profession. And the, the interesting thing is when you look at dietetics and look where it came from, it actually grew out of two emerging themes. So one is folklore. So we, if we go back to the Greeks and the Romans, they had stories about if you eat this, it'll do that. But the real profession came out of home economics. And the reason it did that is during the Second World War, when all the men had gone off to war and the women left their homes to go out into the marketplace to work, they took the skills that they had from home. And that was sewing, knitting, cooking, housekeeping. And they created this profession called home economics. When home economics kind of um, um, wasn't needed anymore and the men came back from war, they professionalized the home economics. And they also took it into a more scientific realm. So it was this home economics, and this is also why we see 99.9% of dietitians are women, is because of where it came from, which is, which in my opinion is, is a great loss. And the other thing is that they took something that was inherent from housekeeping and they made it into a science and a profession. And that had uh, a couple of things go wrong. Um, on opposite spectrums almost. So the one is we started looking at dietetics through populations, epidemiology. 
So we come up with this idea of dietary guidelines, that there's a percentage of protein or a percentage of carbohydrate that is just right for you. So that was this kind of general sweeping recommendations. And then on the other side, the other thing that dietetics did is this concept of kind of reductionist nutritionism, which is that the only thing that counts is nutrients or micronutrients or even phytonutrients. And what we lost sight of is where food lives in the world, how food lives in our world, why we eat food, because most times the reason we eat food isn't because of the micronutrient content. It's social, it's cultural, it's ethnographic, it's sociological, it's environmental, and of course, it's genomic. So if you don't mind, James, I'm going to tell my like story about how I was three weeks into my dietetics degree, believing that dietetics was going to give me a way to study health and, and really impact people's lives, where my lecturer recommended that we use chocolate cake and ice cream for a patient in hospital. Yeah, I was always, that, that, it's really interesting when I've met dietitians over the time, because there's always like one story where they kind of lose faith in what's going on. Like if they know anything going into it and they're super excited about their profession, typically early on, just like you, there's just one story where they're like, hang on a minute. I know that's definitely not true. And we have to reassess what's really happening here. Exactly. And that was exactly my experience. It just, it, it, I thought it would take a little bit longer to, to lose, lose faith, but it took a whole three weeks. And, and when I was like, why would you do that? Like, well, it's got protein and it's got calcium and it's got carbohydrate and it's got, it's a fully balanced meal. So that was the end of me in dietetics. But because I couldn't find anything better than dietetics, I got through my degree, but with this constant sense of this, there's something so fundamentally wrong with this profession um, it has nothing to do with health. It has nothing to do with trying to heal people. And so I was always searching. I was always looking. I was like, what is there that comes after dietetics? Yeah, and I guess before we get into any conversation about genomics, I just want to ask you about, you know, there's there's been this sort of like dietitian nutritionist wars, right? And one of the things that we always try to do at the Functional Forum meetups, as an example, is to say, look, in our meetups, there's no hierarchy, right? We want to make sure because in medicine, the way that it's been, you know, there's this crazy hierarchy and nutrition versus dietetics is one part of it. But then there's the naturopathic doctors don't like the dietitians, and then the yeah. you know, conventional doctors don't like the naturopathic doctors and then the specialists don't like the generalists. And there's just this, you know, crazy kind of stepladder. And ultimately what we, you know, we wanted to create was community. And in community, it's about groups of practitioners working together to the highest level of their their skills. But even with that, we started to have some like dietitians didn't like the nutritionists showing up and, and those wars. Can you just speak a little bit to that? Because, you know, obviously as someone coming into the industry who didn't go through a professional education uh, in any one of the disciplines, it was just so crazy to me that this, this had like evolved the way that it had. Oh, you're, you're preaching to the converted. It's, it's one of my, I'm probably going to make myself quite unpopular in this podcast, but um, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think what, what's happened with dietetics, and it's not just dietetics, but I'm a dietitian, so I'll speak to it, is that it's become a politicized organization. And if there's one thing I learned, so, so for the 20 years I've been working in genomics, I've worked with practitioners. And I've worked with a completely multidisciplinary engagement, whether it's a chiropractor or a naturopath or nurse practitioner, dietitian, nutritionist. And the, I learned something 10 years ago more or less, 
which is that a healer has nothing to do with the undergraduate degree. What makes for a great healer is not their degree. It's what they do when they've got their degree and they continue. So we had a lot of problems around homeopaths. You know, we can't work with homeopaths. We even have a law in South Africa that says a dietitian can't share an office space with a homeopath because they're not a real health practitioner. That's the insanity. And what I completely understand is that your ability to heal is based on who you are as a healer and what you did after you got your degree. Because the reality is there are no degrees that teach health. So except perhaps naturopathy, I have to say. So what we do with ourselves when we finish our degree, what we go and study functional medicine, integrative medicine, lifestyle medicine, nutrigenomics, who we become as a healer in ourselves is what will truly determine how we effectively is. So for me, I invite everyone into the room. And in my, in 3X4, I invite everyone into the room. There is no hierarchy and it's definitely not doctors because we know there's a lot of issues around that or dietitians. I think those are exactly the, the, the moats I call them that we want to break down. Beautiful. Well, look, let's uh, let's jump into it now because I know you know that it can all seem a little bit depressing, but I, I think that you know this podcast is not depressing in nature. In fact, it's very like uplifting as towards like the potential that we're all moving towards. And one of the reasons why I wanted to 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 have you on here is because you know ultimately. You know, our theme for for 2020 has been resilience, but in our theme for 2021 is like really reinvention, reinvention of of medicine, and medicine needs to be reinvented. And it's been you know starkly shown uh, with COVID just how how uh, sort of deep, wide, and broad the reinvention has to be. And I've just uh, always valued you as a thinker in that reinvention, and I know um, that's kind of what we we want to talk about here today. Brilliant. So, so for me, I actually think, and, and I totally agree with you about the positivity, that we truly are starting to understand what nutrition can be. And for years, I've been talking about this idea of, of you know, if it's not dietetics, what is it? And is nutrition as powerful as we talk it to be? And if so, how and what does that look like? Because it's no use saying, well, dietetics didn't deliver. But then does that mean nutrition doesn't? And, and what's so exciting for me is over the last 20 years of being in the genetic space, I've come to understand that there is more extraordinary power in nutrition than I believed 30 or whatever years ago when I started studying. So the dream is actually more powerful, more extraordinary than I ever imagined. Obviously, um, we're now on that journey and it's part of education and mentorship and sharing and conversations with you. And I'm, I'm going to hopefully get a chance now to explain why I believe we finally getting to understand how nutrition is truly powerful as a medicine. Let's do it. Let's do it. Should we jump in? All right. So I kind of spoke about this reductionist nutrient issue, which is like RDAs, everything's about food labels and this population-based guidelines that everyone gets the same diet, everyone gets the same exercise recommendation, everyone sleeps the same amount, right? So how do we, how do we get away from those two extremes? So in about 2000, I started my journey in genomics and it was really um, crawling before I could walk of a SNP, you know, understanding what is a SNP. 
And for the next, I would say, probably 10 years, I started learning how understanding genetic variation, genetic variability, remembering that we're 99.9% the same, but that 0.1% where we're different is everything. And what that 0.1 does is it makes us understand who we are in the world, how we respond to our world, how we exist in our world. So everything from, we used to think it was only like, oh, can I drink coffee with caffeine or can I eat salt or can I eat gluten? But actually it's way more extraordinary than that. It's everything from how do we manage stress? How resilient we are. You and I had a conversation about the genetics of resilience. How much of resilience is actually built into our DNA. And I mean, literally built into our blueprint. It's about our potential on exercise. It's about how we respond to, to people in our lives, connection. So every single element of health is built into that 0.1%. So for me, that was my first 10 years of my journey, which was about self-knowledge. If I understand more about myself, of what I've brought into the world, I can understand so much more about how I responded to my world. And then I can make really intelligent decisions to curate that environment for myself to make the best possible decisions. And that may be optimal health. It might be recovering from a very, very chronic, complicated disease. It might be weight or it might be sports. So it can be the same conversation in all the different realms. So that for me was really exciting because it got rid of this idea that there was a population guideline, that all carbohydrate needed to be 50 to 60% or, or the opposite, that we all needed to be on a low carb diet, you know, like a 30% carb diet or a keto diet. So that was the, the first part of my journey, James. And I thought that was extraordinary, but that still didn't give me the aha of imagining a new nutrition. And I, and I use the, the concept of a new nutrition science because I really believe that that's where the next decade's gonna take us. Can I just carry on talking? <laughs> Do you want no, to say no, that? take us there. I guess I'm, I'm interested where these two things are, are, are meeting up. You know, on one end, the, the, the genetic science, and then the other side, the sort of like evolution of dietetics. Okay, great. So I'm gonna give you the second part of the equation. And the second part of the equation, I only started learning about in about gosh, about six, seven years ago. So even for me, it was a real awakening. Someone who was only thinking about SNPs and gene variants and variations. And, 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 and what, I just, what I came to understand was around what we call actually nutrigenomics. So nutrigenetics is about SNPs, it's DNA sequence changes. And then I discovered nutrigenomics and nutrigenomics is all about gene expression. Because people always say to me, why must I do this genetic test? Surely it's what my genes are actually doing that's important, right? And this is when I came to understand the idea of nutrigenomics. People call it epigenetics, which is a tricky word. It's got a hundred meanings to it. But what it really means is, how do my genes behave? And we all know that our genes are like this house full of switches. And our switches are switching on and off at all times. And the reason that those switches are switching on and off in our genes is because of the environment that we expose our genes to. And that environment will be nutritional, supplements, exercise, sport, pollution, stress, trauma, emotional or, or physical. And every time our body is exposed to one of these factors, 
it causes these genes to switch on and off. And remember when genes switch on and off, they make a protein, which makes an enzyme, which actually is the engine of our body, which drives. And the thing that really was my most exciting awakening was nutrients. And I'm gonna use the term nutrients broadly because it could be a macronutrient, could be a phytonutrient, could be a plant molecule, can change the behavior of a gene. So in the same way that a, a molecule of pollution or a toxin in our environment or something in the barbecued meats we're eating can switch on a gene in a negative way, causing something to happen in the body biochemically we don't want to happen, we can also use nutrition, meditation, exercise, cold water immersion to switch on and switch off genes that we want to switch on and switch off. So suddenly nutrition became a thousand times more expensive for me than it had ever been. Okay, now I'm, get, now I'm gonna put the two together because what is new nutrition? New nutrition is starting with self-knowledge. Who am I? How do I respond to the world around me? How do I respond to food, exercise, stress, etc.? And if I know that about myself, I can then use nutrigenomics, nutrition and lifestyle to switch on and switch off genes that can change all my biochemical pathways and therefore impact my health in a significant way. Yeah, I think the word significant is really important because I feel like... Uh... You know, even in the in the dietetics world, like you said, there's just not this understanding of, of chronic disease reversal, maybe a little bit of prevention, but it's on a long term time frame and certainly not turning around chronic illnesses. And I know that everyone in our community knows that it's possible because they're doing it in their in their clinics to one degree or another. But ultimately, what I what I feel like you're saying is that the potential is in the new nutrition to really bring that down to like a, a much more sophisticated and accurate way of working where um, where nutrition's potential is unleashed. Hundred percent. I love the word unleashed because now we're talking about something extremely powerful. So I, I can give you an example. So at the moment, sulforaphane is like everyone's best friend. So sulforaphane is, a, is a, a molecule that comes from um, a compound called glucoraphanin, which we found in our cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kohlrabi, et cetera. Now, why is, why is it so popular? Why is there like a million podcasts happening at the moment talking about sulforaphane? It's because this plant molecule, we can call it a phytonutrient, a bioactive, a plant molecule, has the ability to switch on genes and switch off genes. And there's a couple of sides to it. So we, it, it can switch on so many genes. So it can switch on our phase two detoxification genes. So when we know that we're not clearing toxins from the body, we can use sulforaphane or glucoraphanin to switch on those genes to help clear toxins from the body. But one of the most exciting things sulforaphane done is it switches on a master switch. So I'm sure everyone listening to this knows about the master switch NRF2 which is a transcription factor. So you walk into your house, it's a bit like having a, a Lexus in your house, and you say like switch on all the switches and you switch on one switch, which switches on all the switches in your house and all the lights come on. So NRF2 is so potent that if we switch it on, it switches on about 500 defense genes in our body. Everything from detox and inflammation, 
um, oxidative stress, methylation, they all get switched on. Now, what's so extraordinary is just something as simple as cruciferous vegetables can switch on NRF2. So when I started in dietetics, absolutely, we were going to have vegetables. And in fact, we weren't going to have cauliflower and cabbage because it was white. Remember when I studied dietetics, it was like, you need to have a million colors on the plate. And if you were white, you were, but of course, cauliflower and cabbage are containing this beautiful, beautiful molecule. So now suddenly I'm using a vegetable in a very powerful unleashing, as you say, impactful way to switch on NF2. And sulforaphane is so powerful that it's 80% bioavailable. So that makes it quite unique because there are lots of other great plant molecules. You know, I don't want to go down the sulforaphane rabbit hole, but what I wanted to talk about is the difference between everyone needs to eat five to eight portions of fruit and veg a day. That's the old school dietetics versus I can use a particular plant molecule in a vegetable to switch on an RF2 and to switch on a myriad of other genes. And that's when nutrition becomes medicine. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it's such a, a critical, critical point. So nutrition in that way is 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 related to this the the two points that you said earlier, which is, you know, we we have to understand it for our genetic variability and then we have to use it for our gene expression, right? Hundred percent. That's it. That's exactly it. And that isn't the nutrition that's being taught in universities right now. All right. So, you know, ultimately, you know, we're, we're getting into this, this year of reinvention. And, you know, I know one of the things, I know you've been passionate about this for a long time. And in the, in the, if you guys want to go back, uh, if you just Google James Maskell exposed, you will see uh, Dr. Joffe taking me through, you know, a, uh, uh, a um, taking me through my genes. That was part of the interpreting your genetic summit. You know, I recognized even at that point, that was three years ago, almost four years ago now, just how important genetic testing was going to be in the future of it. But I just don't think it's really living up to its potential. And certainly, you know, in the professional channel, one of my big gripes with genetic testing and, and genetics generally is just that I don't see a lot of people executing it in a way that is reasonable inside what is, you know, the practice of medicine today. I mean, one of the things that's always thrown off uh, and one of the things that I, I see as a big problem with the delivery of functional integrated medicine already is that it's super, super inefficient, right? Long appointments, long intakes with the most expensive provider. And, you know, with genetic testing, I mean, I've, I've, been, I've sat in lectures and the people who are talking about genetics are very proud of the fact that they have like a, a four hour intake and you have to come down and sit there for four hours. And I'm like, in what world is that useful? Like that is not useful. That's not even, and it's kind of embarrassing to the rest of medicine because it, you know, the rest of medicine looks at this and goes, okay, but we've got like all these poor people here. And you know, it just, it just stinks of elitism. And ultimately I, I hear what you're saying, but we're here to reinvent medicine Ultimately, I want to know that genetics actually has a seat at the table with regard to being efficient enough to fulfill that potential and unleash that potential. Great. So we're going to deal with the next elephant in the room. So we're going to take, we're going to agree that there is value in understanding who we are and in switching on and switching off genes. Let's put that aside for now. Let's talk about what has genetics delivered and I would completely agree with you that it has not in any way reached its potential. 
And in fact, I would go so far as it, as, as to say, it's, it's been a huge disappointment even to me. So in 2003, the human genome was mapped and they published this draft and everyone thought this is going to change the world. This is the single most important thing that's happened in our century and everything about health is going to change from here onwards. I was part of that journey and I was part of, the, I was part of building genetic tests. A couple of years ago, I sat down and I looked at what I built and what other companies had built. I had a really, really, really hard look at what I had produced in terms of genetic tests. And when I looked at the genetic test report that I produced in 2000 with Saona, the first nutrigenomic company in the world, and I looked at the genetic test that I'd built in my last company in the early 2000s, there was so little difference, James. We had more snips, the images were a little bit more professional, Adobe worked a bit better, but I could not believe that in 15 years, genetics had not delivered any more value than what we were producing in 2000. And I was horrified. I was horrified because I was part of that journey. And in fact, what happened in the world is we got this huge excitement about um, genetics. We got um, 23andMe, who sold like 10 million tests, most 95% of which are Ancestry. We've got Ancestry.com selling another 15 million. But really, if we look at what impact we've had of bringing genetics into the healthcare system, it's been extremely poor. In November last year, we did a survey of practitioners at the American College of Nutrition Conference, and we asked them, do you work with genetics? Why don't you work with it? What are your issues? They don't understand how to work with genetics. They don't have the knowledge. They're not confident. But the thing that really broke me is that 78% did not trust genetic tests or genetic testing companies. So it is my strong belief that we have broken the industry, that we have completely underdelivered on what the dream of genetics could deliver because we acknowledge self-knowledge, knowing who we are and being able to switch on genes is a huge part of health. And yet as companies in the marketplace, this is not what we delivered. And part of that reason, if I can just keep on ranting is that it has been science led. It has been led by people like me who built genetic tests. And in doing it, we never got out of our own head, right? We were like, we love SNPs, SNPs are fabulous. And we never thought for a minute, how does someone understand this information? How do, what is the value to them? Is it meaningful? What are they gonna do with it? When they wake up in the morning, how does it change their life? And we didn't ask the practitioners, how are you using this test? How do you explain it? And in fact, when we did ask them, they said it was taking them two to three hours to interpret a genetic test before they saw their patient and another hour and a half to explain it to their patient. And in that entire time, they were being paid for one hour. So what they're saying is that genetics had become a burden rather than transforming them into this new insight of health. It's like the worst parts of functional medicine just amplified, basically. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's what I, I seen. Well, look, I'm excited here, you know, really to kick off in a certain way, kick off, you know, here at the beginning of December 2020 to kick off 2021, really, and look at 
okay, how do, how do we fulfill this potential and how does genomics become a part of it? And, you know, last year we were at uh, Jeff Bland's conference, the PLMI conference, and um, I was super, super excited to, to connect with you because I know that, you know, one, you've been spending a lot of time thinking and working on this and also, you know, that there is a solution now, which I'm super excited to do. And, and also that that solution is coming out of Cape Town, where I grew up and my dad lives and, uh, you know, that there's innovation that, that's arriving. So, you know, this is the moment. I mean, I'd love to just, you know, start with, start with I guess, uh, you know, how 3x4 and this new iteration of your work is solving, you know, both of those big elephants that we've discussed. So thanks. Yeah, that was um, so PLMI has always actually had a huge impact on me. And the year before you and I met up um, in Seattle and I showed you our new report, I had attended PLMI and I had a huge epiphany, which I kind of just shared to you, which is you cannot build a genetic test as a scientist because we're not the ones using the test. And I realized that as long as it was me driving product development, we would never have something that had value or meaning to the end user. So I decided to go back and try and figure out a solution to this. And I knew the solution had to be in finding a partner who would bring something to the table that could help me take what I knew in my head and make it into something meaningful for the end user. And I met um, a company called Seamonster. And Seamonster is a gamification company. Seamonster builds apps and games to drive people's behavioral change. So they don't build Candy Crush, but what they do is they use the concept of gamification to get people to change their behavior. So I went to them and said, I have genetics. It's really cool. It should change people's behavior. It's not changes people's behavior. How do we do this differently? And I met Jason Haddock, who went on to be our CEO and my co-founder, who said, who had experience in VR and AR and user experience and design thinking, all the things that I did not have. And he said, what if, how do we take this information and how do we put it into a report in such a way that both the practitioner can use it easily, the end user, the patient can understand it, but most importantly, we can create a meaningful conversation between the patient and the practitioner. So that, so that started the journey with Jason. And, and I have learned an extraordinary amount over the, over the last three, four years working with him about this idea that we had to be customer-centric, user-centric. We have to think, where, where do they create value? So, so that for me as a scientist has been very humbling of saying, you know what, science is great and it needs to be awesome and credible and, and defining, but it, it isn't the experience of the user. So that was the first uh, real big learning, James. The second learning is you can't fix an industry by building a test. So we went right back to basics. So in between my building tests, I was very disillusioned and I left the genetic test building um, world and I focused on nutrigenomic education and I built an online course called Manuka, which is um, I've got practitioners around the world studying it because I knew that if practitioners didn't understand how to use genetics in, them, in their practice, you could build the best genetic test in the world. It would have no value. So I had already been in the education space for quite a few years, and I absolutely love nutrigenomic education. So Jason and I said, what are the pillars that we need to change the industry? Because if we can't change the industry, which is now a cowboy industry, there's probably three to 400 genetic tests in the marketplace. A lot of them are cut and paste. 
don't get me started on that. Anyway, so how do we fix the industry? Yes, we have to have the best test with the best science, the best user experience. But also we need to offer education to practitioners, which they're not getting in their undergrad degree. And it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, dietitian, nutritionist, chiropractor, ND, you're not getting it. The third thing is we need mentorship because studying something is not the same as practicing something. So how do I learn the theory, no matter how good that theory is, and when I start using it in my practice, how do I transition genetics into what I'm doing as a functional or integrated practitioner? So mentorship was that nurturing handholding. And the last point is, who's my tribe? Because I want to feel like I'm not alone. When we asked practitioners, they felt isolated, unsupported, and most of them, they did not know who to trust, and they did not know to go, where to go. So we built 3x4 based on not one pillar, which was genetic testing, but on the four pillars of, of education, mentorship, the test, which I'll tell you a little bit about now, and um, um, community. Beautiful. Yeah, it sounds right in line. I mean, ultimately, you know, things like mentorship, peer-to-peer -peer -peer delivery of value, community, you know, we recognized straight away with the meetup groups that that was what really needed to happen in order for, you know, the meetups to, you know, to, to, for practitioners to come along, right, to do something that was on the edge of uh, the emerging science and to go, you know, to that edge. Uh, you need other people to to validate that path for you and, and also to support you in that journey. So I'm super excited. So yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. So let me, so why, okay, let, so let's ask the question, what did I do differently? Or what did Jason and I do differently? Because it was very much this collaboration between his expertise and mine. So I keep on using this word epiphany. I'm probably overusing it, but there was a point where I realized that the way I had been building genetic tests for 15 years was wrong. And it's quite a, quite a thing to, to, to acknowledge, but I was so wrong. And why was I wrong? Because all the genetic tests I'd built were based on single SNPs. So here's MTHFR, here's a diet recommendation, here's a supplement recommendation, here's APOE, here's a recommendation. And this is, this is kind of SIP-based treatment. So we, we, we see this all around us. And in fact, if you look at the genetic tests that you're familiar with, ask yourself the question, are they giving dietary, lifestyle, or supplement recommendations based on a single SNP? Because the reality is when you work in the world of nutrigenomics, we are not talking about genes that cause disease like BRCA, and even BRCA doesn't cause a disease, right? These heavy monogenic high penetrance genes, the genes that we're dealing with are what we call low penetrance. By themselves, they don't cause disease, but they have some impact on our biochemistry. So by themselves, we should not be offering recommendations, albeit supplement or diet or lifestyle or exercise. So what I did is I went back to basics, and this is entirely my functional medicine training, because what does functional medicine do? It teaches us to go upstream, root cause analysis, what is the dysfunction in the biochemistry that is causing the downstream? So if that works in functional medicine, it should be working in genetics. So we were treating genetics in a completely different way and trying to use it in a functional medicine paradigm. So what I said is I'm going to go right upstream right to the top of the dysfunction. And instead of looking at MTHFR, I'm gonna look at all the genes that impact methylation, all the genes that inflammation, and I'm gonna build pathways. Because in the genetic world, this idea of polygenic risk scores that you 
group a set of genes together and you can see whether they're associated with diabetes or heart disease, arthritis, has been very well validated. But no one had thought, what if I group genes to look at individual biochemical pathways upstream and not look at disease downstream? So that is a fundamental base of our 3x4 report, which is we start upstream, we group SNPs, we don't make any recommendation on a single SNP, but only on the pathway that the SNPs work in. So James, that was like a big, uh, big change for us. It probably the makes it a lot easier yeah. to, you know, to think through and to, you know, to utilize because you're dealing with like bigger categories. Because obviously one of the problems why in the genetic testing timeframe is that you have to go really detail into all these like thousands of data points. Yeah. And, and, and that's another thing. There shouldn't be a thousand data points. So one of the, the, the things you always have to ask the company you're working with is how did you choose the SNP that you put into this test? Because what's happened recently, and I say like the last 10 years, is companies are marketing their test saying, I've got 500, I've got 1,000, I've got 600,000, that they've made it out as though the more SNPs they have in their genetic test, the better they have. It's like, we only charge $300 and we've got 5,000 SNPs. But actually the reality is that what you really want is you want to find the SNPs that have good science, but also clinical utility that they make a difference. Because I always say, if the SNP won't help you make a better clinical decision, it should not be in the test. And so the question you should be asking is not how many SNPs you have in your reports, but how did you choose them? And how do I know that they not only have science, because there's so much science out there at the moment, but that they make a difference to my clinical decision-making, to my medical nutrition care? So, so that was a big part. So we have built a methodology called Darwin that is based on science, how good is the science, and it gets a score, and how clinically useful is the SNP? Will it change my decision-making? Is there a way to measure it? Is there an intervention? Because if they doesn't answer that, it should not be in a genetic test. And then to come back to your point, that if you have pathways and not, even if it's 200 SNPs, you cannot work out a recommendation for a patient on 200 SNPs. So we say, the reason we called our company 3X4 is, if you look at pathways, choose the three pathways that have most been impacted by your genes as a starting point. It doesn't mean don't look at the others. And start upstream. So look for high impact pathways in cellular and in systems, and then go downstream. And we made this really easy, because what we did was we created a language of color because we know that patients and practitioners don't want to talk science. They want to have a way to communicate with each other that is very easy. So we created this language of color and impact and everything in the report has got color. So purple is always impactful. And we always say, just follow the purple, you will find the answer. And the other thing we did was we built infographics because when I was, I also had a clinic for five years only seeing nutrigenomic patients. And every time I had a patient, I used to draw them a picture. This is what detox looks like. This is what methylation looks like. This is what blood clotting looks like. It's like, if we're doing this for every patient, why don't we create a visual conversation? Why don't we create images that speak directly to the patient? So in our report, every image for these cellular pathways changes according to the patient's results. So that now I have something to sit with my patient and say, 
look at this picture. Do you see you've got some purple there? Can you see the DNA unraveling? Can you see the toxins? And suddenly I have a visual conversation that changes how we talk with our patients around genetics. All right. And, you know, three by four, three X four genetics, that's how it's written. It sounds like a weird name until you understood what it is. So can you just explain like why it's called that and what the test looked like and what the promise of the test is? Okay, so the 3x4 is, we, when we teach and we have, a, we have an onboarding education, which teaches, we always want to, for our patient, we want to decrease the amount of time you're spending interpreting the test before you see your patient. And we want to decrease the amount of time you spend with your patient. So the framework we teach is, what are the three most important pathways that your genetic test is telling you are most impacted for your patient? What are the three most important diet recommendations that you should start with with your patient? What are the three most important lifestyle recommendations? And what are the three most important supplements? And that's how we get three X4, three times four. It's because you should be able to come up with a one-page summary of three X4. And in fact, in our new report, which we launched on the 29th of September, we've actually created the summary for you. So you don't have to figure out the top three pathways. We're telling you, these three pathways came up as being the most impacted. These are the three most important diet recommendations to consider. Remember, you're the practitioner, not me. So you're going to see our guidelines and you're going to say that really resonates knowing my patient. And, and we've captured it for you. So we've created the report that if you only want to use the first five pages, you actually have your summary of what to do. If you want to talk about color and image and visual conversation, you carry on. And right at the back of the report, we've got more science and SNPs, which those practitioners who are deeply immersed in genetics can do. So our value is really in translation. We are not, do not regard ourselves as a genetic testing company. We are a translation company. And that is education, mentorship, community for the practitioner, and then user experience for the individual. I can see a picture, I can see a color, I can understand pathways because it's something that makes sense to me as opposed to MTHFR or APOE, which is not scientifically valid way of giving genetic results and also decreases my time. So it should take you five to 10 minutes to evaluate the report that you got from your patient and you've got 30 to 40 minutes to explain it to your patient and you're done. I love that. So look, I mean, I guess I just want to finish off this podcast by saying that, you know, my goal with 2021 is that this community of practitioners that follows the evolution of medicine will be at the forefront of the reinvention of healthcare. I mean, that's the, that's the, the vision here. And I guess one of the things that we want to do is to be able to give our practitioners, you know, for me, we were never going to really recommend or, or have this kind of conversation with a genetic test until it was easy for practitioners to do. It was easy for patients to understand, and it could be done in a reasonable time frame. And, and ultimately what you have here with three by four is all of that. And that was like a year ago. I knew in the last year I've had a chance to, you know, do the test myself and, and start to see it. And ultimately what we want to do here today is to introduce you to this community because ultimately, you know, we're another big focus of this reinvention in 2021 is community. We're going to be bringing back the meetup groups in a really, really strong way, but ultimately, you know, we want to introduce you to this community. So 
what I, you know, I spoke to Yael, you know, in the last few months and said, look, what is the best way for practitioners at the minimum possible cost and effort to just be engaged into your community so you can meet the practitioners that are using this test every day. You can start to feel comfortable, you know, making this test, getting these pathway diet lifestyle supplement recommendations, and then translating it into your clinical practice and doing it in a way that is hyper-efficient. And so, you know, let's talk a little bit about, about what practitioners can do uh, if, they're, if they're interested and, and what we're going to do to help this community of practitioners get on board. So there's a couple of different ways to come, uh, come into our company. So the first, obviously, is through education. We have a three-hour education opportunity. We have a foundations course, um, which is, which is a, a longer one if you want to have a little bit more depth, a little bit more understanding. From education, we transition you into mentorship. We also love practitioners to do their own report because nothing is experienced in the way it's experienced when you do your own. And then we, we offer a mentorship opportunity where our mentor does your feedback, takes you through your report, gives you the full experience, and you also get to understand how pathways and imagery and color actually work for you. So there's a couple of ways to come in uh, two, three, X4, and um, we're there for you. Wonderful. Okay. So everyone, if you go to goevomed.com slash 3x4, that's goevomed.com slash 3x4. And you go there, you'll see the details of the courses. Some of you I know probably just need to understand how this course works. There's the short three-hour course for that. If you want a longer primer in nutrigenomics, we're making that available to our community as well so that you can start and go into 2021 with everything that you need to know to start to bring this into your practice. If you want to go through the process of getting tested, you know, mentorship and having someone go through the test with you, uh, who's actually using that test in clinical practice and understands how to use it. Those are the ways that we are helping you to do that. What a great time while you're sitting at home in this next lockdown to really get your skills up and running so that you can be able to unleash the power of genetic testing into the marketplace in your clinic. I'm really excited about this. It's already got me thinking about ways that we might be able to do uh, genetic testing groups uh, and thinking of just some of the innovation that we We've seen with uh, functional medicine groups and, and having patients go through a process of understanding their health in a group format. Uh, more to come on that as we reinvent healthcare in 2021. Doctor, thank you so much. I guess, first of all, you know, in the last three years, just thank you for, you know, for coming back and, and sharing. I think we're really on the same page with it. And I, I, I do agree that going outside, going to different disciplines and meeting other people from different walks of life is how this industry becomes the standard of care. And having met Jason and just, you know, understood a little bit of his background, I do think that it, it is, it does take people from outside the industry to come in to really unleash the potential of what we've got. So I'm excited for a South African company to uh, be making headway. I'm excited to see, you know, what happens in uh, the expansion in America uh, in the next uh, decade and uh, fully, uh, fully supportive of the mission and vision so thank you for all of your hard work to get us here thank you everyone for listening we're counting on you to reinvent medicine in 2021 uh, this is just a flavor of what we're going to be bringing you in 2021 as we transition to that theme we've really needed resilience this year uh, but ultimately uh, it's it's one thing to survive it's another thing to take us to the next era of thriving 
couldn't be more excited to go on this journey with you over the next year. I'm your host, James Maskell. This is the Evolution of Medicine podcast. We've been here with 3x4 Genetics co-founder, Dr. Yael Joffe. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Evolution of Medicine podcast. Please share this with colleagues who need to hear it. Thanks so much to our sponsors, the Lifestyle Matrix Resource Center. This podcast is really possible because of them. Please visit goevomed.com slash LMRC to find out more about their clinical tools like the Group Visit Toolkit. That's goevomed.com slash LMRC. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.